Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. So let me catch you up very quickly on on where we are, okay? Ecclesiastes chapter 3, you guys know this for the most part, Um, but it's, it's a very familiar chapter because... The band, the birds, they sang it back in the 70s to everything, uh, turn, turn, turn. They sang, there is a season, turn, turn. And, and they sang this wildly popular song, and it's really word for word out of the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, again, put on your thinking caps, because what we learned last week is that he gives us a list of things. You can look here, guys. He's going to talk from verse, I mean, all the way down. But, but what's really important is that sometimes we think this is a list of things that happen to us in life, okay? Stay with me. This is a thing we feel like, but rather, it's not what happens to us, but, and, and here's what's key, it's rather a list of things that God sends. And you have to, you have to let that sink in. Because when you look at what Solomon is writing, he says there's going to be a time to be born and a time to die. He says there's a time to plant and a time to pluck, a time to kill and a time to heal. And it's not the things that happen to us, although they happen to us. What we need to understand is the God in the universe, in the macro level, he sends these things to us, and there's a reason. And you go, well, what's the reason? Well, I want you to think about this, okay? God is responsible for both joy and sorrow. God is responsible for both joy and sorrow, and the sorrow for God's children is not wrath, but actually mercy. Let that sink in for a little bit. You're like, whoa, wait, what? Again, think about this. If God, if our Heavenly Father, whom we committed our lives to, whom whom we trust for eternity, this is our God... We believe in him, we're going to live for him, we're going to walk with him. If we believe that he is responsible for both our joy and and those hard times and the sorrows in our lives, then guys, we really need a grasp that we need to understand that sorrow for you and I, well, it's not wrath, but it's actually actually mercy. mercy. You will explain. Well, last week we talked about this. It's like, it's like the things, um, he heaps these things on like ingredients. In other words, nobody likes to eat flour by itself, but everybody likes to eat cake. And no one likes to eat cake without flour. And so, God is the one who mixes all the ingredients together. And you go, okay, Ben, so, so let me see if I understand that. Last week you mentioned flour and sugar and eggs and nobody likes to come on over and I'm going to have, I'm going to have Adam and Tiffany over to the house and we're going to have some cake, although they're not going to know it's cake because I'm just going to hand them flour and then I'm going to hand them some sugar and then some raw eggs and they're going to look at me like Pastor Ben has done gone nuts, which is what we do if we don't understand the process. And that's how we take life, church. Think about it when we go, oh, wait a minute, why am I going through this? Why? Well, maybe, maybe if you will, metaphorically, it's flour and you don't understand how this is all going to... But eventually what's going to happen is we're going to put it in the oven and we're going to have cake. We're going to have cake. And Adam's going to eat two or three pieces and I'm going to look at him and judge him, but that's a whole other story and a whole other sermon. 
But that's life. That, 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 that's life. And, 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 and so he mixes these ingredients together. So the question you're probably asking tonight is, why does he do this? Well, the Bible tells us this, guys, is that he does this to make everything beautiful in its time, to put eternity into your heart and to mine, and to create mystery in life, and that mystery is going to produce faith. Okay? I need to say that again, because if you get that, guys, if you really get that... He, he's going to mix the good, the bad, the sorrow. He's going to mix all of these things. And, and, and what he's doing, he's going to, well, he's going to create a mystery in life and mystery that produces faith. Now, remember back to chapter 1. We need to develop what we call a sixth sense. You go, a sixth sense? Yeah, of course, that sixth sense is faith. We've got to develop faith. Everything under the sun, we're walking with our five senses. We, we see everything within reason. What do I see? What do I hear? How do I believe? What's going on? What do I taste? What do I smell? But, but Solomon goes, no, 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 there's nothing new under the sun. What you need to develop, church, listen to me, is we got to develop faith. we got to develop faith. Why? Because that's the sixth sense that goes, okay, we need to get over the sun, and this is how we're going to... Well, we understand one thing. The Word of God declares to us that faith is the one thing that pleases God. And I think it's very funny because it's something we need to develop, and other times it's just something we walk in. For example, you actually had faith today to get in your car, drive on the street, and come here. You had faith that your vehicle would turn on, it had enough gas, and that you would drive to Lubbock or drive to church. You had faith. No, I didn't. That's Yeah, 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 you did. You had faith when you walked in this building that the roof was going to stand up, that you, you didn't come in going, oh, okay, let me, let me inspect it. Hold on. And, and nobody shook the pole to make sure that they were solid. You had faith. And you had faith to sit on the chair, and not one of you looked at the chair and said, let me make sure this works. I'm not going to sit down unless all four are. We have faith. We have a lot of faith. But what God wants us to do is develop that into a deeper walk with him. And what does Solomon do? Solomon recognizes this, and he says, so, so again, you're developing your sixth sense, and so Solomon would say this, so, what are you going to do in light of all of this? What are you going to do with all the ingredients that God sends you? Well, he gives us the answer in verse 13. Do you remember we talked about that last week? He said, and also every man should eat, drink, and enjoy the good of his labor, it is the gift of God. Guys, you've got to grasp that. Why? This is the word of God. Here's what he's saying. When things are good and things are going well, and you've got money, and you've got food, and you've got love, and you've been blessed, what Solomon says is, enjoy life. Enjoy life. Listen to me. God is not some killjoy that's in heaven waiting for you to get out of line before he smacks you with his spiritual billy club. That's how we think. Oh, God, I'm walking. I don't do it. He says, no, no, listen, I've blessed you. Enjoy life. Enjoy life. But then he also says, but, but you've got to understand, when things aren't going so good, when things are bad, when things hurt, when there's no money, no food, and you're eating ramen noodles for three meals a day, hello, there's no love, and you cry hard, what Solomon reminds us is to enjoy life. 
enjoy life. Now, obviously, you're looking at me like, well, Ben, it's a lot easier to enjoy life when I have money and love and everything is going well. Well, but if I'm eating ramen three times a day, how can I ask, how can I bless God with... Easy, calm down, everybody breathe. Because we can, because we realize that these things are just temporary. And, and we're satisfied, we're satisfied with all of this. Why? Because all of it, come on, everybody say all of it, is a gift of God. All of it. All of it. Many of us in this room know what it's like to go hungry for a time or two. Many of us in this room know what it's like to be a little bit poor, to be in want, whatever it might be. Many of us know that, and we need to understand that it's a gift of God because, why? It's produced character in you. It's produced so much, and it's a gift from God. But when we're going through it, we don't look at it like a gift from God. We're going, oh, why am I going through this? I'm the same way. I'm with you. I'm not preaching to you. I'm preaching to me. And I'm saying, why do I do this? Why do I feel like when, when bad happens to me or struggles or sorrow, I feel like it's not a gift from God. I feel like I'm being attacked by the enemy, and things are hard. Because sometimes God goes, listen, I'm going to send this because I'm ready to take you to the next level. Every one of us in this room should be growing in Jesus. And then sometimes he looks at you, and poor Tiffany, she's in the front, and so I'm looking at her, and she's like, quit looking at me. Okay, Tiffany, it's you. Um, sometimes he looks and says, okay, you've grown. You ready for the next level? And you're like, no. No, Lord. He says, yeah, you are. Come on. And whatever he gives you, whether it's flour or eggs or sugar or whatever it might be, he's going to make something beautiful out of it. That's what the Word of God says. And really what you should say when someone comes and says, what's going on with you? He says, God's still working on me. There's still a lot of ingredients. He's still working. I'm not chocolate cake yet, okay? But it's coming. It's coming. I'm not, I'm not cake. And most of you in here are excited because now you're hungry for cake. And you're like, I don't even know what he said. I just want cake. So everything, everything that God gives us is a gift. So tonight, as we continue in our verse-by-verse study through Ecclesiastes, and really the next two chapters, Solomon is going to do something very interesting. Get your pens out, because he's going to raise objections to this kind of thinking. And I started to look at it in these verses, and I said, well, I need to bring out a title. What am I going to title this? Well, here's my title. Jot this down if you're taking note. Out of breath. Out of breath. You go, Ben, why would you... Why would you title it this way? Well, here's why. Because we discover that Solomon, for the rest of chapter 3, he's going to say a series of statements, but then he's going to ask two important questions. A series of statements. If you're with us on Saturday morning, when we go through our men's study, that's really what he does. He'll give a couple of statements, and then he'll ask a question, and he's really good at that. Well, he's going to continue here in in what he's going to talk about. Now, here's what I want to do with our time this evening, okay? I want to answer his question. I want to answer his question. Now, look at me. Look at me. He's going to ask the same question twice. He's going to ask it once. He's going to reword it and ask it again. You're going, really? Yeah, 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 yeah. I want to answer his question. So the goal for us this evening is to answer that question. Now you're thinking, well, Ben, what is the question? Okay, ready? Here's the question. And it's very, very important. You go, what? 
Here's the question. He's going to ask, what happens to a man when he dies? That's what he's asking. What happens to a man when he dies? In other words, he's asking, what happens to you and I when we take our final breath here on earth? Now, let me go back a little bit and bring you up to speed, because Solomon, have just, he's just going to ask a very deep, deep question. And I think it's a question all of us have asked at one time or another. What happens when we die? What happens when we die? Huh. A lot of us don't like to think about that. We don't like to talk about death. But this is Solomon's going to ask. But let's go back just a little bit, Okay. Uh, let me bring, to, bring you up to speed on Solomon. We got in, introduced to Solomon, and quite honestly, like I told you before, he's not someone that we're having over for dinner. Okay, We don't want him at our parties, and we don't want to hang with him. As a matter of fact, he's equivalent to a Debbie Downer. You go, how so? Because Solomon just seems dark and deep. He's, can you imagine? He's not like that fun, bubbly, let's have fun and laugh. He's just kind of like, okay, sit down here, and it's just he's just dark and deep, and He's in, he's in deep thought, but remember something so important, and I find it very interesting, and I'll tell you why in a minute. He's doing an experiment for us that we need to pay attention to. He's doing an experiment for us because it goes beyond our capabilities. He's actually asking hard questions of life, and what he does is he employs his wealth and his wisdom to show us that there's nothing new under the sun. One of the experiments he does is that Solomon throws a major party. Now, he doesn't just party, he parties. You understand what I'm saying? He just has a huge party. And you go, why is that important? Here's why. The other night when my friend was here, um, we decided to find and try a barbecue place. And we went out to a barbecue place, which just happens to be, um, I, I guess, it, there, there's part of a bar to it, and, and, and it's, the restaurant's over here, and 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 what we noticed is there was a lot of people in that in that restaurant with with drinks and they were partying. You understand that, right? And felt a little out of place, but no big deal. I mean, we we were there for the barbecue and the food, and and we're just looking and studying Solomon. He knocked on my heart, and there's still a lot of people who goes, man, we want a party, and they're they're just trying to get their party on. And what Solomon says is that that's not a party. I have done it all, and there's no satisfaction in this. And what broke my heart as a pastor is we have too many people in our city that continually looks for satisfaction apart from Jesus Christ. And they think that they, no, no, no. See, Solomon partied, but he didn't party like me. I mean, I was out there, not me, okay, don't look at me like you. No, they're out there dancing and they're out having, and, and I'm all for having a good time, but you understand what Solomon is doing. He's saying, there's no satisfaction in this. So why do you keep doing it weekend after weekend after weekend after weekend after weekend after week? Why do you keep why do you keep pushing that limits? I don't understand. But then remember, very quickly he gave us three principles that he wanted us to grasp. Number 1, I will be satisfied to the extent that I see everything I have as a gift from God. Okay, your wealth, your work, your pleasure, your power, your friends, all of these are a gift from God. 
But we need to remember that sometimes sickness and suffering is also a gift from God. It's also a gift. Now think about this. Everything is a gift depending on if you're glorifying him in it. In it. It's a gift. None of us in this room would ever say that cancer is a gift. But when Nathalie developed cancer, she used that to reach others for the Lord. She, she took whatever the world and everything threw at her, whatever her body threw at her, she took that and she said, okay, I'm with a bunch of people who are in the same predicament. I know they're scared. I know they're, and she ministered because, again, she took suffering and sickness even and looked at it as a gift from God. And a gift, everything is a gift, guys, in life if, if, if you're glorifying God in it. It's a gift. Number two, I will only be satisfied to the extent that I notice what's going on in the lives of others, in the lives of others. Guys, listen, we need to cultivate a satisfied heart by sharing what we have with those in need. Share with those we have in need. It's okay. God has blessed us, but that's how you're going to be satisfied. But that doesn't just mean materially. It doesn't mean that I go, hey, I, I know you're hurting here. Let me give you some money. But, but also, too, when you're going through some of the roughest time in your life, as you give of yourself and you pour yourself into others, that's when you're truly satisfied. And people go, whoa, 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 you're the one in need. Why are you doing? Because that's what brings satisfaction when you're going, okay. And really, that's Christianity. When Jesus was on the cross and he was dying in pain for our sins and he was reconciling us back to God, I want you to think about that. What did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Lord, they're, 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 those are my... <sighs> Today you will be with me in paradise. He's in the midst of suffering. You understand that the word excruciating came from the cross. He was in excruciating pain, and yet he still had the heart and the attitude, come on somebody, to minister to others. That's the heart of Jesus. And I think that's the heart we need to develop if we're going to be satisfied. I will only be satisfied to the extent that I notice what's going on in the lives of others. What does that mean? I take my eyes off of what's going on in me and I put it my, oh, how you doing? How you doing? Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to try to experiment this, this next few days. When you go to somebody, you ask them, how are you doing? Their normal response is, I'm good, how are you? That's just, that's how we do. Hey, Ben, how you doing? I'm good, how are you? And then you want to take a step back, and these might be your friends or whoever, and you go, no, 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 seriously. How are you? Now you've got them on a second time. No, no, I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm good. Okay, hold on, Ben. Let's see. How are you and Raina doing? You getting along? You know, and we probe a little bit deeper because we care, not because we want to know everything that's going on. But you're going to see, because now you're going to go, and, and, and even if you do that with a stranger, no, no, tell me what's really, are you okay? And, and here's the thing, you'll be satisfied because now God is going to use you, man, because you're able to, you're able to bless somebody. So it's not only money. You might be able to. You might have. You might be a shoulder 
that someone needs at that moment. Let me give you number three. I will be satisfied to the extent that I trust God during times of distress. I will be satisfied. Um, Think about this for a second. Think about David. Think about David in the book of Psalms. How many times he was trusting God in times, and, and you can read it. He's sitting there. I mean, even in today's reading, if you guys are reading the one-year Bible, I'm thinking, man, David's like, are you serious? My enemies are all around me, Lord. Lord, I feel like you're not there. Please, turn your ear down. Lord, I need you. And then he says, but you're my God. You will sustain me. And he just, and he just trusts the Lord in those times of, of distress. But let me, let me offer you some, some advice, if that's okay. We are a forgetful human race. A lot of good things happen to us and we'll forget them. They happen at a great time. God blesses us and we forget them. That's okay. But if you're going to learn to trust God, here's my encouragement to you. Would you please get a journal and write down the things that God blesses you with, even in the hard times? And you go, why? Because maybe a year from now you're going to go through a tough time you can always look back and go, oh yes, God, you sustained me here. You sustained me here. Lord, you showed up great here. <sighs> I was worried. You've, you've been with me the whole year. You've been with me my whole life. But, but specifically, I saw you pull. I saw you standing. And, and a journal is a great way. Why? Well, because we forget. We forget those things that, that, that really help us to grow. And so again... In those times that you're distressed, you can go back and say, okay, God, I got you, I got you. That's where we are. Let's jump into our text. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, picking it up in verse 16. Notice what Solomon writes. He says, moreover, I saw under the sun. Now, when he says that, he's speaking of the earth. In the place of judgment, wickedness is there. And in the place of righteousness, in iniquity was there. And I said in my heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time there for every purpose and for every work. Your attention, please. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, if this is true and God sends what he sends, then here's my question. What do we do when there are places that were created for goodness and righteousness, but righteousness was not there? And you go, where? Well, for example, the court system. You would hope that our court system would provide justice and righteousness. Or righteousness in a marriage. Or how about this? How about righteousness in the church? Well, I went to church, but all I found was... And all he's saying is what happens when there are these places that God says they're supposed to be safe and they're supposed to protect us, and they don't protect us, and they don't end up being safe. That's what he's saying. Think about it again. Moreover, I saw on earth, in the place of... I saw wickedness in the place of judgment, but not, not only that, in the place of righteousness, iniquity was there. Then he goes on in verse 17, and he says, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. God's going to judge the righteous and the wicked... For there is a time there for every purpose. And and you go, Ben, what did he say in verse 17? He addresses it very quickly by saying, God will handle it eventually, if not in this life, after this life. 
Think about that for just a moment. In your walks, do you understand that God is going to handle everything that needs to be handled eventually? He's going to handle it. Solomon's going, I don't understand. I don't understand. In the places that we're supposed to be protected, we're not protected. And we can see that in our world today. Can I get an amen? You know what I'm talking about. There's just, there's just stuff you're going, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is not, this is not happening. This shouldn't be right. I should feel protected. And now we're actually, well, Isaiah says, woe to you who call evil good and good evil, who call light dark and dark light. And that's exactly our world. And so we would ask that same question. We would be just like, like Solomon. We would say, um, moreover, I saw under the sun here in the world, the place of judgment, man, there's wickedness is there. And, and in the place of righteousness, iniquity is there. He says, but here's the deal. God's going to handle it eventually. Not in this life, in the life to come. And then he goes on in verse 18, look at your Bibles. He said, I said in my heart concerning the sons of men, God tests them that they may see that they themselves are like animals. That's a very interesting verse. And all Solomon is saying is, I realize that God is letting the world go on its sinful way so that he can test mankind and so that man can see that he's no better than animals. That's what he's saying. Look at it again. Concerning the condition of the sons of men, God tests them. Why would God test them? That they may see that they themselves are like animals. Now, again, Solomon, would you please tell us what's going on? Can you imagine for just a second having Solomon over for dinner and you say, how you doing, Solomon? He goes, you know, I've been considering the sons of men, that God tests them, that that they may see that they themselves are like animals. Okay, he's a little bit dark, but you go, what did he say? What did he say? At the bottom level of all things, you ready? He says, I want you to see that we're just like animals and we're no better than them. If we're cornered and threatened, we will do the same thing an animal does. You go, what do you mean? We will run or we will attack. It's called the fight or flight. That's exactly what an animal does. You guys know this. If you are in your backyard and you're trying to capture an animal, and the animal, whatever it might be, it might be a possum, it might be a fox, whatever you have in your backyard, feels threatened, it's going to do one or two things. It's going to run or it's going to attack. You guys know that. And Solomon is going, this is exactly... This is exactly what, what we're saying. Okay? This is, we're, just, we're just the same way. He says, man, listen, God is letting the world go on, so again, so he can test us. Test us for what? To see, to see that we're no better than animals. And I think of that, I think the animals do the same thing. It's that fight or flight mentality. Kind of reminds me of a story, you know, reminds me of a story like, like, for example, say that, um, oh, me and Ken are out, and Ken's a, Ken's a good, um, you know, he's pretty good out in the wilderness, and I don't know Ken very well, but we're buds, and we're hanging out, and we go up to the mountains, and we're just hanging out, fishing, and, and so forth, and all of a sudden, him and I see a very dangerous black bear. And so I look at Ken, 
And I bend down, and I start tying my shoes a little bit tighter, and Ken looks at me and goes, Ben, listen, I'm a little bit, I know a little bit about nature. You're not going to run out, you're not going to outrun that bear. To which I look at Ken and say, I don't need to run out the, outrun the bear. I just need to run, outrun you. Because the bear's going to attack, is he not? And that's exactly what Solomon is wanting to get to us, guys. And it continues on because it's the same line of thinking. Look at 19. For what happens to the sons of men also happens to animals. One thing befalls them as one dies, so dies the other. Surely all have one breath. Oh, here it is. Man has no advantage over animals, for all is vanity. Now listen up. This is key. This is so key. Why? You've got to grasp this. Look at me. This is important. Solomon is not talking about heaven and hell. He's not talking about heaven and hell. In other words, he's not saying, you go to heaven while your pets stay here. That's not what he's saying. All he's pointing out in the word of God is that, notice, when it comes to death, you and I have no advantage. We both breathe our last breath, both die. That's what he says. His observation is that no matter what you accomplish in life, at the end of it, both die. And you're like, man, that's why we're not having him over for dinner. Are you kidding me? But notice the next line. He says, all go to one place. Now, let's, let's, let's stop a moment and chat. Just chat for just a second. The one place they go to is, is not heaven or hell. This all go to one place. You ready? You can jot this down. This place is the grave. This is exactly what he's saying. For what happens to the sons of men happens to animals. One thing befalls them as one dies, so dies the other. Surely they all have one breath. Man has no advantage over animals. For all is vanity. Verse 20. All go to one place. All are from the dust and all return to the dust. Now, again, think about this. Isn't that true? He's not talking about heaven and hell. He's saying, here's what we have in common with animals. Ready? We have no advantage. They die. We die. We have one breath. We all go to the grave. We all go to the grave. Verse 21, who knows the spirit of the sons of men, which goes upward, and the spirit of the animal, which goes down to earth? So here's the question, okay? So he's actually getting to a point, you ready? So here's his question. He's going, so what happens, what happens to man when he dies? Okay, look at verse 21 again. Who knows the spirit of the sons of men? Who knows? Which goes upward? and the spirit of the animals, which goes downward. And it's a question mark at the end of verse 21. So again, that's his question. What happens? Does he go up? Does he go down with the beast? What happens to a man when he dies? Now, before we jump into verse 22, if I can be honest in church, and I love you so much that I would be honest in church, if the Lord Jesus doesn't return anytime soon, the chances of us taking our final breath are going to be very, 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 very good. We are going to die. 
if the Lord Jesus tarries because he wants to see many, many more people in the kingdom, we can take our final breath on earth. Now, it may not be even old age. It may be an accident. It may be just whatever it might be. Now, here's what you need to know, and here's how you can sleep tonight. God knows the number of your days. He knows the day that you were born, and he knows the day you're going to die. He has that all wrapped up in him. He knows you're his. Heaven is secure. He has all of that. He's not worried about it, neither should you. Neither should you. We're going to live our lives. We're going to enjoy our lives. We're going to eat. We're going to just have blessed. We're going to have relationships. This is what we're going to do. But Solomon says, so what happens? What happens? Look at verse 22 with me, guys, in your Bibles. So I perceive that nothing is better than that a man should rejoice in his own works, for that is his heritage. For who can bring him to see what will happen after him? Okay, so now, same question, he just reworded it, okay? Who can bring him to see what will happen afterwards? So what he's really saying, he simply reworded the first question. He said, so what happens to mankind when they take their final breath? What happens? Now, let me do some work, okay? Very, very important. Let's talk a little bit about Old Testament versus New Testament, okay? Let me kind of talk to you about the relationships that exist between these two hunks of books, if you will. Basically, what happens in this Old Testament versus New Testament is the relationship of the Old Testament asks the questions and the New Testament answers it. Keep that in mind. The Old Testament will paint a picture and the New Testament explains the picture. The Old Testament is prophecies, promises made, and the New Testament is promises fulfilled. Very, 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 very important to do. This is why, church, you need to search your heart and be careful for anyone who says, oh, no, no, we don't study the Old Testament. That's old day. All we do is New Testament. We're under the New Covenant. We study the canon of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation because, again, I want you to see the relationship between both books. They're one. They're one book. And you can find Jesus throughout all of the Old Testament. So we don't throw out the Old Testament just to simply focus on the New Testament. If you're new to Calvary Chapel and you're wondering what we do, most of the time on Wednesday nights, we're going to dig deep through the Old Testament. We're going to find out what's going on. We're going to actually ask the question. And then on Sunday mornings, we often answer the question. And it brings just a beautiful harmony between both testaments you go oh oh because sunday morning we mainly focus on a new testament now that's not law that doesn't mean on sunday morning i go hey we're gonna get out of old new testament we're gonna jump in it just depends where god wants us but you need to see that exactly this is what's happening guys the old testament is painting a picture solomon is painting a picture that the new testament is going to what well that's going to he'll explain the picture explain the picture how cool is that right the old testament paints have you ever gone to an art gallery and you've seen a picture and sometimes you look and you're like man this is really weird i wonder what the i wonder what the 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 painter was thinking this is really abstract and it's so cool when the when when the the person who painted the picture comes and go oh let me show you and he explains it you're like wow i didn't even see this this is so cool and sometimes it's dark and deep and sometimes it's just light and funny but nonetheless you're a better person because you understand the picture well that's exactly what the bible does the old testament is painting 
a picture in the New Testament is explaining. So, what should we do? Well, with the remainder of our time, how about we do this? How about we uh, seek to answer what Solomon is asking? So, what happens when someone dies? I think it's important. Okay? Let's talk. Let's chat. What happens to a man when he dies? Very good question. There are three main lines of thinking. Three. Let me give them to you. Number one, and the least popular, if you will, among mankind, is nothing. Nothing happens. A man dies, and nothing, it's over, it's done. When you're dead, nothing happens. There's no heaven, there's no hell. There's no purgatory. There's no nothing. You just cease to exist. There's a lot of people who believe that. There's a lot of people that went, this is it. This is it. I have talked to people that I love very deeply that they don't understand that there's an afterlife. They believe that once they die, they'll go in and quote-unquote sleep forever. There's nothing. Number two, the second view is that when men and women die, okay, you'll get this one, they come back in various forms to try to make right what they did wrong in their last time around. And so maybe they come back as a man, maybe they come back as a butterfly, maybe they come back as a flower, but they've got to right what they did wrong in the previous life. And they'll continue this cycle until they nail it, and then they get to go to heaven. And that's called reincarnation. Reincarnation. That's a popular line of thinking. Let me give you number three. Now, the majority of the world believes this third one, including almost every religion there is, including vast amounts of evangelicals. Now, listen, listen. Here's what they believe. You die, I die, and we go stand in front of some deity who has these giant scales. And the deity takes out all of our good works and he puts it on the scale. RJ, everything you did, every kind word, oh, boom, boom, boom. He's, he's piling it up. RJ's going, yeah, buddy. All right. And then he takes out all of our bad things we've done. And he puts it over here. <laughs> oh, do you remember when you cut that lady off on 289? Oh, and all the stuff down. And then he hits the button, and it begins to weigh out. While we sit there, just whimpering to ourselves. And when the scales finish, if the good outweighs the bad, then we'll get some kind of reward. This is how people think. This is how people think. And I used to think this way. As a matter of fact, guys, that happened to me in 10th grade. It was popular speech. I'll never forget. I'll never forget. I'm in 10th grade. And, man, there was these two cute little girls, these cute girls in my 10th grade class. And, of course, I'm sitting there going, I'm just, I'm a kid, and I'm like, yeah, hey, hey, we want to talk to you. You want to talk to me? Sure, let's talk. And they were talking to me about Jesus, which is really weird. They were talking to me, and they gave me the gospel. And I remember, I, I, I heard the gospel, and I walked out of that class, and here, here's what I prayed to God. I, were, I prayed to God after hearing all the gospel message. I walked out and said, God, if I'm good, I'll go to heaven, and if I'm bad, I'll go to hell. And I told God this, you decide. 
I'm giving God permission to put my, put my life on scales. I'm, I'm in 10th grade. I'm like, how bad could it be? I haven't even lived yet. I haven't done anything. Now, the problem with this way of thinking, church, listen to me, whether you think nothing happens or reincarnation or the scale model, our major problem is the Bible. You go, well, well really? What do you mean? There are massive philosophical and biblical issues with all three. Here's the problem with the first idea that nothing happens. It's the largest gamble in the universe. That is crazy. To think, okay, here's this life, you're born, and when you die, nothing. Nothing. That's a big gamble. That's a big gamble. And then when you tell somebody with this line of thinking, hey, I want to share Jesus, they go, oh, you're crazy. You're crazy. Look at you, y'all. And he goes, listen, listen, here's the thing. Here's the thing. If I believe how you believe and nothing happens, guess what? Nothing happens. I don't gain anything. And, And so if I'm wrong, no big deal. But what if I'm right? And you're wrong. That's a huge gamble. The problem with reincarnation idea think about this no one remembers where they were they wrong the last time around so they're stuck in this hopeless cycle of trying to nail something the first time that you've ever done it can you imagine you're trying to or you're trying to figure out what you did wrong and you're a butterfly and you're like i mean it's it, it's it, it, it's it's silly It's silly. And here's the problem with the model that I fell into and most major religions and and a load of evangelicals ascribe to, the scale model. The scale model is more broken than the other two combined. You go, how so? Well, listen, if you put the good here and you put the bad here and weigh them out, you know what that means? That makes God unjust and wicked. What? Yeah. Again, think about it. Think about it. Let me explain what I mean. There's no court in the world, no matter how wicked or depraved, that would ever be able to operate like that and not get overthrown by its people. There's no way. I mean, here's why. Let's say you break the law. Let's say that someone breaks the law really, really bad. And they go out and they just murder somebody and they get caught and they're in, in the court system. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if they come in and go, well, listen, listen, judge, um, I've only killed one person. It was horrible. It was, it was, just, it was, I mean, it was horrible. I broke into their house. I've never broken into anyone's house before, but I broke into their house and they were there and I just had this urge to kill them and I killed them and I stabbed them 45 times and I killed them. But all my good outweighs that. Oh my good, you see, I was in Boy Scouts and I did this and I did this and the judge goes, you know, you did this? I did that. I'm so sorry. I, yeah, it was, I don't know what got a hold of me. I, yeah, eh. but, then, but then up until that point, you were, you were a Boy Scout and you helped little ladies across the street and you begged groceries for people and you did this and you did that. Yeah, I did that too. What would happen if we let him go? What would happen? 
So, that is corrupt. But, but even think about it like this. How much good do we have to do to outweigh our bad? How much, I mean, how much, I mean, I heard someone say, Jesus lived a sinless life for 33 years. I can't go 33 seconds without thinking something. And, and isn't that the truth? We're always struggling with that. And so, what happens when we die then? How does this work? Because I'm telling you, a lot of people believe exactly what I just said, that if they just do enough good, if they just put enough good stuff on that side, that in the end, God will have to be happy with them. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to see what the Bible says about all of this. We're going to jump around a little bit, and if you're not very fast, um, we'll, I'll have it up on the screen. So here's the question. So what happens when a man dies? First and foremost, you need to understand, okay, that sin, look at me, sin fractures the DNA of all. Sin fractures, okay? According to Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Paul writes, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and death spread to all men, because all have sinned. So let me explain what he's saying. How sin fractures our lives because we've all sinned. We've all sinned. When, when, we, when we entertain sin, when we, when we, man, when we flirt with sin, when we just, I mean, think about this. We're, it, it had already fractured the world and it had fractured all of mankind all the way through. All the way through. And, and, and he says, look, when it came through Adam, it entered the world. And, and what happened at that point was death through sin. Now, you guys know Adam and Eve, right, when they took the fruit, they didn't die physically. Immediately. Now, they're the only ones who were actually born with the born-again spirit, if you will. And immediately that died. And so they're going, well, wait a minute. Did whatever it was, they... See, they began... And that began the process, too, of a physical death, slowly at that point. But it fractures everything. It fractures everything. But I love that it says, okay, God understands that, so he fixes it. Look at verse 17 of Romans chapter 5. He says, For if by one man's offense death reigned, through the one much more those who receive abundance of grace, and the gift of righteousness will reign through the life of one, Jesus Christ. Okay, so sin enters through Adam, fractures the DNA, and creates a groove in the soul of man through eternity for eternity to fill. So in order to take care of the bad side of the scale, something had to absorb the wrath. If you were to watch Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ, you saw in, in really part, I believe, the brutality of what happened to Jesus. And what you're witnessing was Jesus absorbing God's wrath towards the bad side of the scale. So that for those of us who believe in Christ, what's on the bad side of the scale is removed, or rather not removed, covered by the shattered, broken body of Jesus Christ. So, 
For those who believe in Christ, all this culminates on the day of judgment. So, we don't believe that my good is going to outweigh my bad. What we believe is that Jesus covers, he takes away the bad, and now you're standing there in true righteousness. But you're not depending on the good that you have. You're just simply going, I am. I am. This should help you sleep tonight. The fact that when Jesus looks at, when God looks at you, he sees his son, he doesn't see you. You're covered in the righteous, beautiful, awesome blood of the Lamb. That's you. Now, you and I, we go, man, this blows my mind because I know me. I know what kind of person I can be. I know sometimes I'm happy, sometimes I'm sad, sometimes I'm mean, sometimes I'm good. I understand that and it really bugs me. And Paul said the same thing, oh, wretched men that I am, who could save me from this body? He was just, he was just struggling with that as well. But he put his faith and trust in Christ and that's where you and I can sleep. We go, Lord, this is it. So, salvation. Salvation. If, if this is talking about salvation, how's, how, how do people get saved? How do people get saved? Now, here's what we need to understand. Salvation, listen, is not simply you praying a prayer and just kind of going, okay, I prayed a prayer because you and I pray all the time. And I always tell you that it's words alone aren't sufficient to save. So, so something has to happen. There has to be a transformation from the inside out. It's a transformation from the inside. Something has to change on the inside. So let me give you very quickly, guys, we'll move this pretty quick, the process of salvation. Romans chapter 8, verse 30, you can write that down. Paul writes, Moreover, whom he predestined, he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he also justified, he also glorified. So again, he starts with whom he predestined. What you need to understand is that God predestined all of us to be in heaven. That's his will. It says, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. For God so loved the world. He loves us. That, that's, that's his whole point. Now, an easy way to understand predestination is really simple. I go out and I buy a 10-acre patch of land and I build me my house there, but I've got 10 acres and I'm going to build a house for every one of my kids. I'm predestined them to live on my big patch of, a of acreage. Every one of my kids, let's say I had, I had 10 kids. Everyone, every one of my kids gets a house and an acre. We're all going to live together. It's just going to be amazing. I'm predestined them to live with me. What am I missing? They all have a choice. Hey, son, you know, kid number one, no, dad, I love you. Thank you for the offer, but I'm going to go live here. You see, they have a free will. I predestined them. I made it. I made an opportunity. I offered it to them. It's theirs. It's free. And they say, no. Thank you, dad. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go. Okay. So my other kid goes, wow. Yeah, I would love to live with you, dad. I'll take you up on that offer, and they come and live. I predestined them. They still have a choice. And God does the same thing with us. He's predestined you, and he's, but he gives you a choice. Because love isn't love without a choice, is it? Love isn't love. God does not want Christian robots, I love you. And he wants us to love him because we love him. Because we love him. 
Okay, so you and I are sinful. We understand that we're broken, we're fractured. The DNA of the universe shattered. Christ comes, dies on the cross, is justified, justification in life. And you and I are in the middle of life. Hear the gospel call, and here's what it means. Basically, someone tells us the gospel. Do you guys remember that? They tell you about Jesus. We actually hear the message with our heart, not just our ears. Do you understand that I heard the gospel many times before I came, became a Christian? And then I finally heard it. I finally heard it. And somebody tells you about Jesus, about how much he loves you and how much he died on the cross, and he talks about forgiveness, and he talks about repentance, and I want to talk about repentance for about 30 seconds. The one thing that we often say is, okay, listen, if you're going to give your life to the Lord, Tiffany, you need to repent. And Tiffany goes, repent of what? Like all the bad things I'm doing? No, the one thing we need to understand is repentance starts with the repenting from unbelief. We have to change our mind and thought about unbelief. And so that's the first repentance. And all of a sudden, Tiffany goes, oh, wait a minute. I've repented from unbelief, so now I believe. And that begins the transformation. And then you hear another pastor say, no, now you need to repent of your sins. Well, then at that point, the Holy Spirit begins to work on Tiffany going, okay, so you can't smoke such and such anymore. Or you can't do this anymore. And she goes, oh, you know what? You're right. Well, now, where does that stem from? Where does that stem from? It stems from repenting of unbelief to believing. You guys tracking with me? It has to be important. Why? Because if we do it the other way around, hey, Tiffany, you want to give your life to the Lord? Well, you better get cleaned up first. You better stop doing this and doing this and doing this and doing this. And all of a sudden, Tiffany does that. But guess what? She's not saved. Why? Because she's never repented from unbelief. And so he's talking about repentance. He's talking about faith. Someone tells us, the gospel call, somehow we hear about Jesus. Millions of people heard it, but they never really hear it. They never really hear it. Let me show you another passage. Let me show you another passage. John chapter 1, 12 and 13. It says, But as many as received him, to them he gave them the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. And that's, that's important. Notice, but as many as received him, he gave them. So it's important not just simply to hear, we have to receive. We have to receive. And that's where a lot of people go, have you received the Lord? Have you received, are you a believer? And this is where they get it from. But he goes on in verse 13, he says, who are not born, notice, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. This new birth comes from God. So the question you have to ask yourself is, have I been born from God? Am I born from above? I'm not born because, because Daddy and Pappy were pastors. I'm not, I'm not a Christian because I, I, I need... And, and it's, it's a very interesting thing because I love my granddaughter, I love my grandson, but my granddaughter's at the age where, again, she's starting to ask a lot of questions. And one of the things that I made sure to tell her is that she has to find Jesus for herself. She has to know God. She has to search. Oh, she loves Grandpa, and Grandpa's the pastor of her church, and she runs the show around here. You understand that. But that's she can't get to heaven on the faith of her grandpa or her mom or anybody else. She needs to find God alone. She has to. And that's why it's so important. 
And so God, as the gospel goes out, opens the heart of man or woman and pay attention, and they grasp it and they begin to wrestle and simply, if simply talking about all of a sudden our spiritual appetites begins to increase and all things were indifferent about historically, all of a sudden we begin to really, really wrestle with things like life and death and eternity. And let me just clue you in on a little bit. When it comes to this part, you'll see people wrestle with spirituality. It's not God. They just want to be spiritual because they're still wrestling with this. They're still wrestling. So the gospel call goes out, and God begins to open the heart, to regenerate the heart, and all of a sudden, we care and we want to figure it out. And even this process was prophesied a thousand years before Jesus even shows up. Think about this. Jot this down. Ezekiel chapter 36 um, Ezekiel thirty six twenty six and 27 says, Listen, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues, and you will keep my judgment and do them. Can you imagine? This is exactly what he says. He goes, Listen, This is what's going to happen. Here's the process. What was the process? He says, first and foremost, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to give you a new heart. And I'm going to put a new spirit within you. And that's how you know that you're truly saved, is that you've got a new heart. You've got a new spirit. Where you used to have a heart of stone, everything was hard. Now you have a heart of flesh. And now you're wanting to walk in his ways. And now you're wanting to please the God that loves you. And nothing else matters but Him. We're going to close here in just a second, but I want to I want to share this because as I was studying this, I was thinking about what Ezekiel was saying. But yesterday, I'm driving by myself on a lonely road to New Mexico to go get my wife, and I put on an old oldie worship CD. Songs that I literally cut my teeth on when I first got saved. And those songs used to bring tears to my eyes. And I was sitting there driving and I was, I was singing them and I was like, and I began to ask the Lord, Lord, these songs don't touch me like they used to. Is my heart is my heart hardening? Lord, I used to listen, and it was it was just it were just these songs that were meant so much. And I was just crying out to the Lord, Lord, I want to go back to that place where where I sang worship songs and they meant something. I want to go back to that place where, where I was in love with you. Lord, I want to go back to the place when you were so real and, and I could see you and I could hear you, Lord. And, and I didn't know much about the Bible, but man, I had faith and I was just trusting you and, and everything was a joy. And sometimes, church, we let life get in the way.
Okay, so let's close. Let's close. We're dead in our trespasses and sins, fractured DNA, gospel goes out, God awakens our heart, we, we're regenerated, leads to conversion, repentance, and faith. Then, in a moment, you're justified, you're right before God, God calls you to righteous, and then you start with this process called sanctification, where the rest of your life, here's what sanctification is, God will begin to chisel you out. Now, let me be really honest what happens next. One of the things, one of these two things happens next. You go, what's that? Number one, Jesus comes back and he comes to get us or we die. And again, this brings us full circle to Solomon's question. What happens to man when he dies? Well, John chapter 5 answers the question. Let me give you John chapter 5, 25 says, most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear his voice and the Son of God and those who hear will live. We know that's the resurrection. John five twenty eight and 29 says, do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of the condemnation. What happens when we die? Make sure we're born again. Let me say it this way. If you're born once, you'll die twice. If you're born twice, you'll die once. And that's what's key. Father, thank you tonight for your word and the truth in your word. Thank you for your great love. Father, thank you for Solomon asking those questions because he wants to know. And I think all of us in this room want to know what happens when we die. And so I pray that every one of us will put our faith and trust in you, that there is a transformation from God. Lord, would you use me even tonight to help anyone here who has not fully committed their lives to you, that they would do so in just a minute. With every eye closed and every head bowed, praying to the Lord, is there anyone here tonight that would say, Pastor, I'm not sure where I would go if I die. I'm not sure. But I would love to pray a prayer to recommit my life to God, to commit my life to God once and for all. Would you help me, Pastor? Would you just, would you just, would you just pray with me? I won't keep you long, but with every eye closed and every head bowed, if you're here and you really are seeking God and you want to know and you want to be able to sleep with just some sweet, sweet sleep tonight, would you just lift up your hand so I can see you and I can pray with you? We've all been in this position, and so I say, God bless you. I see you to my left. Anyone else? Just want to make sure. That's all. Just want to make sure. Father, I thank you, Lord, that your spirit moves and just, just want to make sure. Lord, I don't, I, don't, I don't dig on the scale model. I give my life to you. Father, I desire to be born again, so please come in from above. I believe. I need to repent from unbelief, so I believe. And now, Lord, I just ask that you help me to walk in you. I give my life over to you completely, 100%. I'm yours, in Jesus' name.
We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.